Do Good Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. Welcome to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. I'm Pamela Escobar. In each Do Good Charlotte podcast, you will find out who's helping, who could use a helping hand, and just how you can spread around your own good. In this episode of Do Good Charlotte, we're going to meet with the Executive Director for Gen 1, Ian Joyce, and Dianara Leva, who's a junior at East Mecklenburg High School in the International Baccalaureate Diploma Program. And she's a scholar with Gen 1 for five years. Gen 1 partners with talented, first-generation students from disadvantaged backgrounds, helping them successfully navigate to and through college. And we'll inspire you to do good, Charlotte, by the various ways you can get involved with Gen 1 as a navigator, volunteer, or as a partner. Ian Joyce and Dianara, welcome to Do Good Charlotte. Thank you so much for having us. I'm so glad that you're here. Ian, I'm, I'm really intrigued first by your personal story because sure. um, you studied abroad, you were a reporter, which is something we have, have in common, um, became a teacher. How did you, how did all that get you to Gen 1? Sure. Um, so when I was in college and we went to Kosovo, uh, one of my friends was reporting on education there and started looking at how education was impacted by the ethnic genocide that happened in the late 90s. Um, and it led me to see just all the disparities in that country uh, between different ethnicities, um, which then led me back when I came to the U.S. to look at our own country and to kind of analyze within our own cities that we had disparities in education, specifically based on race um, and segregation and the impacts that that history has had on people today. So Teach for America's mission spoke to me directly because their mission is really to increase educational equity and access to um, opportunity for all students and to create leaders who are going to go out and try to fix some of those um, issues that we were having in public education is kind of their mission statement. So that spoke to me and I applied to Teach for America and I was lucky enough to be accepted and got placed in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that placed me at Eastway Middle School which was fantastic because Eastway is a huge international and refugee population. And I, I was international studies major in college. Um, so the population of students really spoke to me as well. And while I was at Eastway, you know, that first year of teaching was just survival. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, just trying to get by, um, learning the craft and, and the art of teaching. And I saw right away, Teach for America, it's a two-year commitment. Um, the school district pays you, uh, not Teach for America. They support you. Um, and thanks to their support and specifically thanks to my teacher coach, um, I really started to kind of gain some better understandings of the system in Charmec, um, Charlotte Mecklenburg schools and what could be done for my students as I was seeing the stories that were being placed in front of me every day. Um, I just met so many incredible students that were first generation, extremely talented, and they had different narratives that were being spoken about them and in my circles even in Charlotte uh, than what I was seeing. And so I wanted to kind of um, just do something that would support our most some of our most talented and gifted students um, at Eastway Middle School. So um, anyway. So that's how, answer. no, that's, it's, um, it's interesting. I think it's interesting how you take an experience from another country and it sort of opens your eyes on your yeah. own country. And, and that was my privilege. I mean, I didn't, I had to, wasn't even exposed to it growing up, honestly. I mean, I was, but I didn't have to really live through it firsthand. Right. Yeah. And so you meet these students, meet this population of people, 
and uh, you're in the trenches. How do you go from that to getting involved with Gen 1? Did you, you're not the founder or are you? Um, yeah, kind of, sort of. I'm kind of like the co-founder, I guess, right. at this point. Um, and so Greg Gabriel was a math teacher at Eastway Middle School for 10 years. Um, he's technically our founder. And uh, I had a student who I had been working with, and she opened my eyes to all the needs that first-generation students have. So I approached him, and he was like, well, I've already been mentoring a lot of first-generation students. They're currently juniors in, in, um, in high school. So I said, well, what are we going to do about it? Like, there's, We have so many kids that come in here that are walking these hallways that are extremely talented. And he's like, I know, I have an idea. And so he pulled me into his room one day. He sat, he sat me down and proposed what he thought the Gen 1 model should kind of be and just kind of let me in on it, so to speak. He, he trusted me. Um, so we went to our principal together, Mary Webb. She's still the principal at Eastway. And she actually wrote the first business proposal for Gen 1. Um, and she handed it to us after Greg kind of presented what the model should be. And I was just bought in from the beginning. Um, so the, the, the model is still pretty much the same. We have navigators who support our students, our mentors. They can be teachers or people from the community. Uh, we have college advisors who are on uh, one on staff and four volunteer um, who give academic advising in high school as well as college advising services to our, to our scholars. And then the third component is this cohort model where we select a group of students um, as eighth graders and we every month we have programming for them on, on the weekends in addition to after school clubs and in school clubs. Um, so that's kind of how we select, identify, and support our students. So is that what you do, Diana? Yeah, part of the club. You're part of the club. So every it's every month you guys get together. Yeah, every month we meet. Uh, one yeah, we meet one day a week. Uh, we meet once a month after school, and we go through different like lessons. And um, like this week, we're having one. We're gonna get taught about like interviews and career opportunities and things like that. So you've actually gone through the program for the last five years yeah I started in seventh grade so how did you get started um well my seventh grade year I had just I had been at Eastway the school where Mr. Joyce taught for my sixth grade year and then seventh grade year I had moved so I hadn't gone back to Eastway until halfway through the year and I'd been placed in one of the um I had been placed in a lower learning level class instead of like honors or higher level classes. And I remember that was a really big struggle um, as soon as I got in. So when I came in and I had like teachers approach me and they were like, no, you have to get placed in the higher level like now. And I was moved over to Mr. Joyce's class. Um, I was just, he gives off a really good energy for students. And you just immediately know, like, if you want to learn his class, is going to be it. And, you know, if you want to succeed, he's going to help you. And so when he first started talking about the Gen 1, like, mission and its possibilities and things like that, you know, you immediately get interested and you want to know how to get involved. And as they started, like, opening up the ideas as to what Gen 1 could be, I, like, you know, immediately wanted to get involved. And I sort of just went from there as they opened up their mission state. So you started five years ago. You got lucky enough to be in Mr. Joyce's class. And you're part of this group. Is it fair to say that if you weren't part of Gen 1 that you would be ignorant to some of the things that you've experienced? Definitely. There are so many opportunities that I've been through with Gen 1 that I know for a fact that I would not have been able to go through if I hadn't been a part of Gen 1. Just give me an example. Um, well, things like 
most recently we had a mayor that we had an, an introduction to the mayor's youth program where we got to go through what it's like to actually go through job interview how you should dress how you should look things like that and those are just experiences that i myself would not very likely not have been exposed if it hadn't been to a gen one if they hadn't like reached out and told me about it so it gen one means first generation right. so where are you from or your family's from i should say my family's originally from my mother's from mexico and my father's from el salvador so they came over here as immigrants when they were young and i was born in new jersey before they moved over to charlotte so how long have you been in charlotte most of my life i've been here since about i was about six years old is english your first language no actually my first language is spanish i was taught it at home so is was there ever a challenge in school Definitely. I did go through ESL, which is uh, English Second Language Learning, uh, for most of my elementary and middle school life. And it was always a little frustrating because the setup of ESL is a little, it does sound like a little bit of a setback. And it does like sort of distinguish how much you should be able to do versus how much you are actually able to do. And so I'm guessing that you surpassed that. Yeah. You got out of that pretty exceeded. fast. Far exceeded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do you find these? Awesome students. I get asked that question a lot. And, you know, to be honest with you, it wasn't, it's not really too hard if your um, eyes are open and you're in the school and you're interacting with these students on a daily basis. Um, so the way it works now as a formalized process is the school will partners with very closely with us still, Eastway does. Uh, we do have a formal partnership with the school district as well but they identify students who scored a four or a five in math on their end of grade test. Yeah. Um, as you know, as you heard from Dianara, like Eastway has a very big refugee and immigrant population. And so we don't use English to identify the students, we use math. It's kind of that universal language. Uh, um, so they will put everyone that got a four or a five together in addition, the students that are first generation to college, which is what the mission statement really stands for. Um, and then we also look at their grades and we just ask teachers to send an email to our school liaison if they support any student that's on that list because teachers don't have time to do big referrals, really. Right. They To write an application it, they have or so do much all going that. On. It's, too, it's too much, exactly. So um, throughout that process, then we get a group of usually like 30 or to 35 kids in a room. Um, and Gen 1 will go in and tell them like, hey, you're in this room for a reason because you've been identified as a gifted and talented student. Uh, you are a gifted and talented student. Um, and it's what's interesting to me is like it's rare that a student gets to hear that, especially at a school like Eastway, that they're gifted, that they're talented, that they're special, that they can go, that they will be successful, that they will, you know, do it. Um, and so that's kind of what, that's like the best part of the job is getting to do that. The worst part is that we can really only take 20 to 25 students a year in the cohort in the cohort. So we do have to say no to a couple of kids every year who, who apply. But anyway, we go in and teach them how to apply because like that's a whole other uh, access and equity issue. Yeah. So we teach them how to interview. We give them the interview questions that we ask the students. We call the families just to make sure there's a level of socio-emotional support. By the end of eighth grade, we visit every home of every student who's in Gen 1. And then, uh, but in the, the formal selection process, the last part um, after the interview is the students write an essay. And we, you know, we give a staff presentation every year, give the ELA teachers a heads up, and they kind of help students with their essays and know how to craft it. So we teach them the application process um, in the in-school club. The school sets aside about 30 to 40 minutes a week for us to come in and, and run a Gen 1 club, like a homeroom, basically. Oh, cool. Um, 
we did that very informally during Dianara's eighth grade year. We had to like, it was like during recess. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like, you guys had to like sprint from Mr. Green's homeroom over to my class. I just shoot my homeroom over to his. And so like, it's just taken like this whole thing has just been really like a grassroots effort from, from the very beginning. I love that you go and talk to the families because I would think that that's part of the education process. You know, you're on board, but then our mom and dad, do they understand? Are they, how did they feel about it when they found out or when they had that visit? My parents were extremely supportive right from the beginning. They always knew that I had like a hunger for learning and they knew I wanted to be able to get any opportunities I could to further my education. Um, but there was that level of confusion in the beginning because obviously they couldn't fully understand what was going on and it was always a little rough translating everything. But I guess Gen 1 really made them feel open and like, they laid everything out on the table and they explained, this is what your daughter is doing. This is what your, what your daughter can do with the program. And this is what you can let her do if you like continue to support her. And they were extremely happy for me and they were excited about the club. And it was just, they were really, like I said, they were really happy about me or for me and about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I haven't met your parents, so I don't know exactly <laughs> why, why they came to this country, but I would think that part of it is for you, that they want to make sure that you have opportunities. And so this is a way for that to be realized. So what, I what is your goal for people who don't know what Gen 1 is? Um, you're on this path. You're a junior in high school. Where is it going to take you? Um, well, I guess, as you can see through the mission statement, Gen 1's mission is to get us not only to college, but through college. And obviously, that's my first goal along with many of the others in my cohort to get to and through college. And then after that, I obviously we, want, we all want like successful career paths and the Gen 1 is sort of helping us go through that. And that's kind of what I want people to know. It's not only helping us get to college, but through it and leading us to a more successful life that we wouldn't have been able to have without it. It sounds like you're creating leaders in addition to just, <laughs> is, am I right? A hundred percent. That's the entire programmatic goal of our 10th grade year. And we've partnered with Dale Carnegie. Um, they do leadership training for CEOs and executives. And so Chris Arlene has been fantastically supportive. Um, he's even underwritten some of his personal time to come every year. He teaches a leadership academy. And that academy is actually, it, it actually teaches students how to access social capital. And that's one of the huge issues in the Opportunity Task Force report. Uh, how do you connect with another human being that is might be different from you at face value and get to the humanness? So he has, I'm not going to say the whole curriculum that they go through because, you know, <laughs> that's special to, to Dale Carnegie. But yeah. um, nonetheless, I think the kids really gained a lot from that. Like, how do you make an authentic connection quickly with somebody, whether it's an interview or whether you're sitting down to have coffee? Um, and then they also, they break that up for us so that we can keep teaching that over and over again it throughout the club so that it's not just a one and done leadership academy. It's something that we can put throughout that monthly club for the 10th grade students. So um, it's about helping them kind of find the intersection of their skills, what they love and like what they can also like get paid for. I mean, and find what the world needs. It's kind of helping them find their purpose a little bit as well. And how is it your cohort, like all of you guys together? It's I mean, you're going through this together, right? Um, well, my cohort personally is amazing. It's the best. It. Um, <laughs> I, I would think that there's some competition <laughs> there, but of course. Um, we're all very close in it because a lot of us have such similar experiences, but we're all also our own person. I know, like, even if we do lose a few throughout the years, we all stay in touch and we're all very close and we all support each other through our dreams and aspirations. And it's really nice having that sort of second family around you at all, all time, especially at school when you really want the help. Yeah, I, 
I'm not in high school, but I remember <laughs> high school, and it's not always fun, uh, especially as far as support is concerned, and you can fall in and out with your friends and things mm -hmm. like, like that, but it sounds like you're meeting people who are just like you mm -hmm. or have the same kind of dreams, and when you can surround yourself like that, that sounds like such an amazing opportunity, too, so it's be, having great access to teachers, but then also <laughs> to your peers as well. Um, so you're trying to figure out what you're passionate about and that you can get paid for, too, after college, right? Yep. Definitely. That's not easy. <laughs> I'm still figuring that out. Um, <laughs> <Aren't> we all? <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. So um, do you have any ideas? I I do. I definitely know I want to pursue something in uh, a more artistic field. And what Gen 1 has really helped me do is not to pigeonhole my future. I know an issue I had before, or especially before I joined Gen 1, was um, not focusing on what I needed but more but also on what I wanted like as you know growing up in an immigrant family you know like what you need is to get a really successful job if you want to be able to support yourself and your family and your parents and so that was always my main concern and it wasn't really till I met Gen 1 and you know Mr. Joyce and Mr. Gabriel that I really began to understand like I can be successful I can achieve what I want but I can also be happy when I'm doing it do yeah. something that I really want to be happy with in my future right I love that she, what did you do this summer? Oh, this summer I was part of <laughs> I was part of the July experience at Davidson College, and I got to choose two college level courses that I um, that I, and I, I went to go live in the dorms. I spent a month there with and you know meeting and interacting with other students and teachers, and I got to sort of like see where my aspirations lie and again feel like what it, what it would actually be like going to a college campus and have, taking college classes on the regular. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> How long was it? It was four months, four or four months, four weeks. So four like, weeks, but that's, I mean, you're living in the dorms mm -hmm. and having that whole experience. What were your classes? I took two classes. One was um, The Monsters Inside Us. It was a literature course on monsters throughout history and how they're affected by like the cultures around them, the fears of the time, things like that. And then my second course was a letterpress class where we got to work with, um, you know, ancient like letter, these big machines that taught us like, you know, different. It was, it was a more physical class because I wanted to have that like, obviously the tactile like you want to touch it. Yes, it. <laughs> yeah, and so that's it. Sounds like that was more artistic. Am I correct in that, or was it more mechanical, just like learning how to use it? It was both. We obviously the first week we were learning how to use the machines, um, what they meant in history, and what they meant for their times when they were first being introduced. But then after that, our teacher really let us like go through with artistic visions. We got a we got like different um, sort of themes that we had to go through with. And then we ourselves got to pick out like the fonts, the sizes, the colors, how we wanted to set it up to make a decent looking print. So it was really it was a bit of both, really. Wow. Uh, I can tell by just talking to you that you are very passionate about learning. <laughs> so you're going to do it no matter what. And I, I think it's clear that you would be doing that even if you weren't part of Gen 1. <laughs> but Gen 1 has is is helping you, yeah. um, exposing you to things that maybe you would have, you would have probably never gone to Davidson or known about that program if you weren't part of Gen 1. For people who are listening, what do you want them to understand about Gen 1? Um, I guess I really just want them to understand that Gen 1 is, it's partnering with talent, like immigrant students, but it's also partnering with talented students. These are students who want to learn. They want a better education for themselves. They just you know, a lot of us need a little help getting there just because our opportunities aren't as wide open as others. Yeah. Um, what do you want them 
to know about Gen 1? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> within a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> yeah, I'm long-winded. No, um, I'm not saying that. I'm no, just saying that you're it's so okay. passionate. <laughs> yes, it's It's going to take a minute. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, I just want them to know that there are so many students um, in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools that are extremely gifted, extremely talented, and they still need just a little bit of additional support to be able to realize what's actually possible for them to broaden their horizons and to deepen their understanding of what they can accomplish. And so that's what we're here to do, to provide that mentorship, that confidence building, and that navigation uh, to help them understand what the pathways are before them. So, you know, our schools are completely overwhelmed. Our public school systems are completely overwhelmed. You know, our counselors are dealing with crisis work every day. They're dealing with 504s, they're dealing with IEPs, they're dealing with immense amounts of paperwork. And the ratio is, is astronomical. It's like one to 400 students at, is the average at most CMS schools and at the Title I schools, they can be even higher. And I know that a lot of our juniors have experienced, it's just been a challenge to get appointments with even a high school counselor just for course registration. Not to mention there's so many systems to talk about when we're talking about applying to college. So I also want listeners to know that we are supporting our students on like critical navigation, information, and knowledge that if they don't have, they're not going to get to college. So that's kind of like the important resource and um, information and knowledge support that we're providing for the students. What has surprised you about this work? Because it sounds like you knew what the problem was, you were exposed to it, and then when you had someone suggest a solution, you were you jumped on board. So has have there been surprises along the way? <laughs> Numerous. <laughs> um, well, the first surprise, honestly, was that when uh, is that this whole thing started out as a CMS school district program. So the school district actually allowed us to pilot the program through CMS. So we were under student services and we were kind of able to operate as like a nonprofit. So I really appreciated that CMS was willing to be innovative um, with teachers that were willing to try to do something um, about an issue that they saw. And then as it became more and more challenging to support students who were going off to different high schools and we were still at the school level teaching and supporting a new eighth grade cohort, like immediately I realized I didn't have the capacity and neither did Greg to both teach and support Gen 1 students that were going to ninth grade um, and 10th grade. We needed more college advisors on staff. We needed more navigators. Each student was starting to have really unique issues in their life. Um, and so I said, well, the, 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 clearly the solution is just make it a nonprofit. That'll solve all my problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that may have multiplied my problems. Um, so we, you know, thankfully after we did C20 in 2016. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. So uh, hold that thought. This is okay. Pamela Escobar. You're listening to Do Good Charlotte. After the break, you'll hear about how you can get involved with Gen 1 and also learn of a program with other inspiring nonprofits looking for funding. How many servings of fruits and vegetables should you be eating? This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina. The magic number is five. Three servings of vegetables and two servings of fruits have been connected to lower risk of certain cancers, stroke, and heart disease. Fruits and vegetables are a great source of essential vitamins and minerals in addition to plenty of fiber to maintain a healthy gut and reduce the risk of colon cancer. And they're high in vitamin C and potassium. If five servings seems like a lot, consider starting your daily vegetables with your first meal of the day. Snack on fruits and vegetables instead of whatever your current go-to 
snacks are. Use vegetables as the main ingredients in other dishes like baked goods and chili. And whenever you can, get fresh vegetables, especially in the summer when they are in season. This has been your 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. So before we dig into C20, I want to talk a little bit more about Davidson because you were telling me during the break that um, besides monster, that monster class being super cool, <laughs> um, your professor thought you were awesome. Yeah, I got honors plus in both of my classes because I, they were amazing. They were just so easy to connect with and they really did help me throughout the entire experience. Yeah, her professor wrote like this raving two-page review about all the amazing <laughs> work she did in the class and and how great of a leader she was in her group. And at the end, um, he said, I would welcome the opportunity to speak further on her on her behalf. I'm pleased to note that she earned the highest grade possible in Honors Plus. Please do not hesitate to contact me with any <laughs> questions uh, you have about this evaluation. <laughs> That's so, awesome. I'll encourage her to reach out sometime soon to make sure that she touches base with that professor again, because I think Davidson's one of your schools on on your list, isn't it? Definitely. I really, like I said, I really, uh, and I really enjoyed the environment and the teachers are so welcoming. I know when I had issues, um, because it was my first time in a college experience, um, they were helping, they helped me throughout the weeks when I did have issues with like just keeping up with the work or connecting with my family and things like that. They were really helpful and I really enjoyed it all. Who's the professor? Mr. Ripien. <laughs> Doctor. Dr. Ripien, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, but that is that is a good way of um, learning about networking and building your network of people who um, will be references, whether that's for jobs or for going to college. And um, clearly you have a fan, so you want to <laughs> stay in touch with your fans. Um, but that's awesome. I'm that's that's so cool. I have chills thinking about it because that is it's one thing to do something for the first time, but then to do it and then rock it is <laughs> That, that's awesome. That's amazing. So it is cool. I'm like jealous that you're interacting with kids like like this all the time. I have the best job in the world. I really <laughs> do. I get to work with so many talented kids that are um, the most amazing people and have taught probably me more than I will ever teach them So and their families. So if people are listening and they say, I want to get involved with Gen 1 and they're not a student, but they want to maybe provide services, they could be a navigator. What are some of the opportunities? For sure. So the first one is to sign up to be a navigator. Um, a navigator is an advocate and someone who is going to build a positive relationship with a student. We ask for a two-year commitment, um, and we ask that that person's able to do two hours a month in person um, to just meet with the student, get to know them better, build a strong relationship, and help them personally navigate through the systems that are at play. And Gen 1 will provide all the curriculum and support for that. Um, as well as just be that kind of personal mentor to them to really uh, encourage them and spur them along on their journey. Uh, and of course, if they just want to, if anyone just wants to volunteer, if like that's too intense, uh, we always need volunteers to help at our events to set up and break down um, or chaperones on like a college tour. Um, and we could also definitely use funding. So anyone who is feeling really generous um, and wants to give in around this time of year during the giving <laughs> season would be wonderful. Um, that's something that we're working on right now is making Gen 1 more sustainable for funding in the future. Right. So you had made the joke that um, I'll become a nonprofit and I'll solve all my problems. And it probably created some problems for you along the way, too. Yeah. And now, was it in 2016 you guys did C20? Yes. So what is that? 
C20 is basically Charlotte's uh, OG Shark Tank. Uh, it's like um, this. So it's run by Social Venture Partners, it's a philanthropic group in Charlotte, and they every year they have an application for. Uh, what's called C20. It's this on-stage three-minute pitch competition. And so you submit an application and they pick 20 organizations. Uh, they bring you through coaching um, on how to make a three-minute pitch. They give you like a little team that will help you develop your three-minute pitch on stage. You practice it in front of everyone. Your first one always sucks. It's super embarrassing. <laughs> um, I I think mine rambled on for close to seven minutes. That's oh, no double. Joke. Yeah, that's a double time. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. And then like they give you feedback. Um, so the second time I came back and, you know, it was like four minutes and it was better. But, yeah, I mean, they are strict on that. They you have a three-minute cutoff. They're throwing up like this yellow card at like 2 30 30 seconds left this red card for your last sentence um but anyway you know you have that three minutes to make a pitch but they take the 20 and then the very last session the third session i think they whittle that 20 down to 10 who actually get to present on stage um at night theater and so you get on stage at night theater you make your three minute pitch and everyone in the audience votes for the top place prize which gets twenty thousand um, dollars and then there's judges on stage who picked the second and third place, uh, I think 7,500 and 5,000. It changes sometimes over the years. And uh, Wells Fargo sponsors it. And like, I think last year, everybody ended up getting something if they made it to the on stage, which was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, C20s, it's just, just the, even if you don't get to go on stage or win the experience of going through like how to pitch and yeah. how, to, how to present your organization, have a compelling story and see, the, see a unique story, but see the big picture is so impactful. I, I, every nonprofit I think should be applying and, and trying to get into it because it's just such great coaching. And at this point, from what I understand, it, it's already closed applications, yeah. but they can, you can buy tickets to watch it. And I Correct. think it's happening in March. I think March 31st. Something like that. I probably well, should know the exact date. That's okay. You're, you're good. Um, but you won, you didn't just participate. You got your seven minutes down to the three minutes and then you guys won it, right? Yeah, we got, we got lucky. I had, I ad-libbed some jokes, which I wasn't expecting to happen <laughs> on stage. <laughs> I don't know. I think my teacher just came out being being in front of people. I think my teacher came out. And the good news is that they don't take off time when people laugh. So when people laugh, they like pause the clock, which was wonderful because technically it was over three minutes. Um, but because you had like audience interaction, they paused it. But yeah, we were fortunate enough to win. And that was actually seed funding for us along with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools gave a little bit of seed funding to start out. Um, and that's how we just got started with a cohort and doing really basic um, events and experiences. So, so you, you've you've grown significantly, I'm guessing, from that point. And I'm sure Diana can speak to the changes that have <laughs> happened in Gen One, and like since becoming a nonprofit, it's become more formal. Maybe some kids would say more intense. Like we're doing more. Um, so, and that's been great. But yeah, it's it's changed a lot, which is fun. Well, and I'm guessing because when people donate, they want to know where things are going, and oh, so yeah. your programming needs to reflect that it's it's the intensity. Right. The, the value right. of what, what you're giving. Right. Um, so five years, mm -hmm. and you still have got, I don't know, bad at math, probably another five years to go, right, to get through college? Uh, yeah, a little about bit. five or six. I'm junior year. Yeah. Um, but you'll stick with it? Definitely, 100%. And I have my siblings who are planning to go through with it, too, right alongside me. How many siblings? Five. <laughs> Five. So they're so you're the big sister and everyone's looking up to you. Yeah, definitely. That's part of the reason why I joined Gen One first, uh originally because, you know, having them behind me is definitely like a motivator for me to be a part of things like this to not only give myself opportunities, but give them opportunities as well. 
Right. Which is the essence of a true leader. Really, honestly, if you, you lead by example. And so your, your siblings get to see you every day. And they probably see how jazzed you are about it, too. (laughs) Definitely. They've met Mr. Joyce in person, and they see how excited to get for events or big things like this. And they're they're just over the moon about it. Yeah. So that's exciting. Uh, So how do we find you on social or online? How do I sign up to be a navigator? Like, what do I I need to do? Sure. So at Gen1CLT, just all spelled out, is our Instagram and Facebook pages the handles. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, and then you can also find us at our website, gen1clt.org. Um, Gen1Charlotte, just type that into Google or Gen1CLT, you'll find <laughs> us. And then to be a navigator, it's just uh, go to our website and it says right there, become navigators or get involved, become a navigator. And you can see all the requirements that we ask for and what the commitment is. And then there's a place to sign up. You just click a button and boom, you can sign up right there. And our program coordinator, Aaliyah, who, uh, we just hired this year. She's amazing. She's from the college advising course. She's a first generation student. She graduated from Chapel Hill. Uh, she has an amazing story as well, but she's been doing a fantastic job recruiting and supporting our navigators and pairing them up with amazing students like Dinara. So navigators don't have to be teachers. Correct. They just need to be adults yep. who want to help some kids, right? Yeah, exactly. Because you'll give them all the tools. We'll give them all the tools. Even if they don't Coaching. remember what it's like to go to college <laughs> or remember like the whole process. Well, and also the process has changed, oh, right? I mean, time. SATs aren't the same or right. ACTs or whatever, whatever the testing things that you have to do, right? right. Um, yeah. So you guys help them with that. But yep. as a navigator, I don't need to know all that. Right. And that's where the college advising services come in. So we have expert college advisors who are going to give personalized detailed plans and a personal plan to each student. And then the navigator's job is just to support them in implementing and executing that plan. So again, they're that personal support coming in on the back end to really help them make sure that they have what they need to accomplish the task. How many Dianaras are you helping right now? Do you know? <laughs> yeah, there's uh, just a little over, like just under over, we're right at like 100 students right now, um, 100 scholars. So, and that's from eighth grade all the way through a couple of college students. You're really invested. I mean, I can just, I can't imagine how much you pour into all of them. <laughs> what is your hope for them? Oh, gosh. Um, my hope is that they're able, like I said earlier, to kind of find the intersection of their passion um, their skills and, and what they can get paid for as well. You know, I think as a, I think a lot of first generation students have so much pressure on them to perform and to, um, get a great career, like, like Dianara was saying. And sometimes I think people lose sight that like they're human beings, like they want to do what they love, just like everybody else, like regardless of what's going on. So I'm just, I just am really passionate about, I hope gen one in our college services that we offer that we can provide a lot of career guidance and exploration and opportunities for internships. And so that's something else we're looking for. Like if there's a corporation out there listening to this and they have internships available or work-based study, or even if it's unpaid, just an opportunity for them to actually start, like Diana wants to be an architect, like, hey, architect firm, (laughs) she's amazing. Davidson said so Right. (laughs) um, as a junior. So like, can you give her a little bit of experience now so that she can see if that's something that she's interested in down the line so she knows what she wants to major in when she's in college. It's a lot of pressure to even choose a major. And yeah, I didn't decide until my sophomore year, but I had the financial support of my parents and a lot of backing um, from my background that was different than where almost every single Gen 1 student is coming from. Yeah. 
Well, thank you both for coming today. I really appreciate it. Um, Do you know someone else like Ian or Dianara who are with Gen 1 Charlotte who's doing good in our community? Let me know. Tell me about someone or a nonprofit organization that should be heard on Do Good Charlotte. Reach out to me, Pamela Escobar, on social media. I'm Reporter Pam on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or go to the Queen City Podcast Network page and fill out the contact form for Do Good Charlotte. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. I'm Pamela Escobar. Thanks for listening to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina.